Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to the Buffy Season 2 Recap, A Slayer with Family and Friends. For this bonus episode, we're talking about our favorite episodes from Season 2 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We'll also be taking a look at some of the broader themes and character development over the course of the second season. We recommend that you finish watching the full season before listening to this episode. So, as has become our custom with these season recaps, we're going to start by talking about um, some favorite episodes. Um, and I kind of want to go, uh, you think I'm going to go one way and I'm going to go the other. Hmm. So, Faking um, us all out. Yeah, I, I want to choose something a little unusual because I think, um, you know, I, I might be tempted to go with one of the really sort of big mythological episodes, whether it be Surprise and Innocence or What's My Line or the, the big finale, because those are definitely the really important weighted episodes that kind of, you know... Are, are in a sense more important than the one-offs. But I also feel like those are the ones that we spend the most time talking about, and, and I'm sure we're going to talk about more as we talk about the season-long arcs and everything. So I want to choose one which is kind of hints at those things, but is a little bit more standalone. Um, and I'm I, we only talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to go for I Only Have Eyes For You. Um, and, I mean, I said a lot of that in mm. the discussion of what we, you know, what we talked about then. I liked how that episode kind of did, you know, fake you out. It did kind of broadcast itself as a, as a one-off monster of the week. And then in the end, the major, you know, themes and character arcs sort of hijack the story and take over for a little bit. And something that seems like a simple, you know, disposable episode about ghosts, you know, haunting the school turns into this, you know, incredibly emotional and important moment for Buffy, um, which kind of sets up, and you even argued, maybe even allows the whole final, you know, climax to happen, that maybe, maybe her, you know, letting out her emotions in this episode is what gives her the ability to be objective enough to actually um, mm -hmm. go through with killing Angel in the end, which is what she ends up doing. Yeah. Um, so I like that. I kind of, as a, maybe not, you know, the most important episode of the season, but, but I think one which kind of helps to support, you know, it is a one-off, but it also helps to support the larger story of the season, and one that does things that you don't necessarily expect it to do. It was sort of a an unexpected surprise, I think, as I went through sure. the season. Sure. So, um, and and I talked all about. I don't have to go into all of it again, but I liked what what it said about um, what I think it said about the nature of stories and art and them having sort of a a cathartic, you know, function in that experiencing other people's stories helps us work through our own, you know, feelings and beliefs and all mm -hmm. those sorts of things. So I think it had kind of a nice meta 
layer too, which I always find really attractive. So, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it's a good episode. Um, and, and I mean, we did talk about like, yeah, it's, it's not the most mythological one, but it does have that sort of hybrid feel where, you know, like you said, it, it gives you the fake out of the monster of the week feel until you get to that end and you see Buffy and Angel acting out and you realize like, wow, this whole time, this was a setup, right? Mm. This was a setup for what was going to happen uh, in the end. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. I like it. It, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it does, it does sort of give you that, that idea. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything more to say than that other than, than, than I like it. And, and you're right. It's not necessarily one that I think would normally be a candidate of like the best of the season, but it is a solid episode definitely. And I think it deserves to have, uh, you know, some of that consideration. So good choice. Good. good thank ch- you. Good choice. Um, and I think because it does have that sort of hybrid nature, I mean, it definitely brings up so we titled this we were talking about um what we should call this episode beforehand and and we ended up calling it a slayer with family and friends and and that's based on something that joss whedon says in in an extra on the dvds um about season two wanting to get into more of the character development right it's not a monster of the week and i think if he's looking for that then this embodies both right mm. like this this well, and, is and the even, episode that does that and even the monster of the week ones get sucked into the myth a lot like almost against their will it's sort of like even when they try to do a standalone they can't go a hundred percent with that that i mean maybe more in the beginning of the season but i think by the time we're getting into the second half i mean we said the same thing about um oh Killed by death, that's what it's called, the one in the hospital. Um, yeah. The same thing about that was even the ones that ostensibly are standalone, still, you can't get away from, you know, the overarching, because the the character drama is becoming so important, um, you can't just take a week and forget about what everyone's going through, you know? So even when you do a standalone story, you have to acknowledge the the longer character arcs that are sort of happening in the background. Yeah. Um, so the, so these episodes are a good indicator of that, that they're, they're not pure standalone, that even they sort of point to what's going on, you know, in yeah. the bigger picture, I think. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, you definitely get that. And I think in some of the earlier episodes of the season too, so you get um, – in some assembly required, you get the whole motive for Frankenstein is to create a mate, right? The, yeah. Well, I say Frankenstein. It was, uh, oh, I can't even remember the character's name now. Um, yeah, I don't you, either. You, you know, the, the, the guy who was the Frankenstein monster character, <laughs> his, his uh, you know, his motivation was to find a mate. And, you know, he brought in Cordelia. Um, mm. You know, so that that is definitely part of it uh in kamami girl you have the relationship between um xander and and uh uh impada and uh you know 
whatever. So like even in those standalone sort of Monster of the Week episodes, I think you do I think you're right. You did do get kind of that overarching theme of family and friends and relationship being pulled in. But I think that's why this one is kind of interesting. Why, um, you know, specifically that, that the, I only have eyes for you is interesting is because it does that. Like, both stories have more meaning. Like, it's not just sort of ancillary. It's not like, oh, okay, well, these are the characters we have to work with. So, like, one of them is going to, you know, we're going to say something about the relationship that they're having. It's like both stories that are happening here are sort of given a new level because of the mythological arc or because of the monster of the week nature of it. Like, both aspects to it are stronger for the other one being part of the story. Yeah, no, they're not just paying lip service to the the, the mythology. They're actually, right. it actually transforms the story. Yeah. And brings in real weight and consequence to the end of it. Well, and just, and, and to compare again to, like, some assembly required, like, it could have been any pretty girl that he was infatuated with. But they're like, oh, well, we have Cordelia. She's, you know... Right. We'll just she'll just happen to be the love interest for this week. But it could have been right. any particular girl. Or, you know, same thing with Inca Mummy Girl. It didn't have to be Xander necessarily that she fell in love with. But in this story, right. because it's Buffy and Angel, it gives it more meaning Absolutely. at the end. Right, right, yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, no, their their story is central to the resolution of of the standalone plot that, you know, because of who they are and what right. they're going through, that becomes important to... Right. It becomes important for the monster yeah. of the yeah. week, but it also gives more resonance to their own situation in the yep. larger mythological. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. See? So... That's why it's an awesome episode. It's just... It works on a bunch of different levels, I think. Yeah. And, and, and I think that th- that's interesting because I like this analysis of it and and how we're going about this, because that's, I don't think that's something that I would have been able to ever sort of put into those terms, like without having you sort of stop and say, well, you know, Hey, take a look at this and, and brought in, you know, the sort of you catastrophe idea of it and the catharsis idea, um, you know, from, from the sort of the Tolkienian sense. So, uh, definitely, uh, yeah, definitely enjoyed that about, that's why we do stuff like this. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I'm just reiterating that I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, all right. Uh, and it was, so anything, like, in particular about that episode, like, we've, we've sort of talked generally just about it, but but what what would you say would be sort of like your, I don't know, like a particular moment or a particular um, thing that happens I, I think just the, that revelation, how deftly um, they pulled off the surprise of the end. Because I think the fact that you hear the same dialogue over and over and over again, and you don't, or at least I didn't see coming, I didn't see where that's heading, you know. Mm-hmm. You keep hearing the dialogue between the student and the teacher, but I don't sit there thinking, well, obviously this is referring to, you know, Buffy and Angel. Obviously that's where they're heading with this. It, it actually is um, 
surprising in the end when it's them and when the the roles are reversed and the genders are reversed. So yeah. it I think that moment where they do when they sort of get taken over and start to enact the scene. Um I just remember feeling very satisfied that like I didn't see that coming but it made perfect sense as soon as it did. Um so from like a writing standpoint, I appreciate the craft of that. Um, cause that's a really fine line to walk to, to get an ending, which feels both surprising, but also kind of inevitable mm -hmm. that like, once you have it, it couldn't have been any other way, mm. but not in a way that felt, um, you know, trite or predictable or too easy or whatever. Yeah. So, well, and from so a... I think I appreciate it from like, uh, as a, I appreciate it as a critic you know that I, there's an artfulness to that that i like even beyond what i like about the story it's like oh i almost want to applaud the writers there that like they pulled off a really neat sort of landing yeah no definitely i i think i think that's yeah i i would agree um the writing aspect and but also the acting of it because there's yeah sure you, you know like you said there's it's not just a gender switch but it's also, uh, you know, there's there's multiple things going on there that make it more complex in the story. Um, so one, you have to write it so that it's relevant enough so that a gender switch makes sense, but also mm -hmm. so that it makes sense in a um, in, in in the larger story, like we were talking about of yeah. Buffy and Angel. So it it yeah. So from a writing perspective, definitely, but then. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar and, and David Boreanaz, their their ability to act that and make you yeah. understand what's going on in, the, yeah, in those moments uh, are really good. You're right. You're right to call out the acting because in because if they weren't so committed, that could be an awkward thing to have them playing with the genders like that, and to have you know. I just feel like if you didn't have actors who went for it a hundred percent. That could be a train wreck, but you have to have people who, you know, got really emotionally invested in those parts and were willing to play with what you expect and to play with their own, you know, dominance and submissiveness and like, you know, to have, mm -hmm. to have her call him bitch and to not have that be a joke that you right. actually feel shocked in that moment. You don't feel like this is turned into, you know, a joke or a it's parody. It's not a parody. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. you absolutely feel like that is a really resonant moment and you feel the weight of that. So, and in in other hands, you could see that being a complete, you know, ridiculous moment mm -hmm. um where you completely just couldn't take it seriously. So, I think you're right to sort of point out that they, that only works because they did such a good job with it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, it, and it's about, like, I don't mean to say the acting in, Isn't in normally... view of the writing, like, well, yeah. no, I, I was, I was just going to say like, it's both the acting and the writing that work well together. Sure, like, yeah. It's not this, not one over the other, but they both had to be on their game, so to speak, yeah. you know, to make that, to make that work. So, yeah. Yeah, really, really very good. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I am going to choose for my favorite episode, mm. Passion. Um, and of course, this one is... One I did consider, so I'll have to say. <laughs> if I had gone the more mythological route, this would have been maybe the one I would have been leaning towards. So Yeah, sure. Definitely and rightfully so. I mean, I'm choosing yeah. it, so of course I'm going yeah. to say that. But I, yeah. I think of the one-off episodes, probably I Only Have Eyes For You would have been up there as well with, with perhaps the dark age being the other one that I would have considered. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were going for more of the one off, although questionable as to whether that's more of a one off one or not. But anyway, um, passion I'm choosing as you, as you noted, it definitely is more of a, uh, mythological one. I, you know, there are so many good episodes in this, season so Mm -hmm. it really is kind of hard to to nail one down um you know and you know part of it is that so many of the good episodes are actually like double episodes like the what's my line or becoming or um even surprise and innocence which are um you know back to back paired together yeah um so i guess just as a one-off mythological episode this one i really liked um not because Jenny dies in it, of course, because <laughs> I really like Jenny as a character and I wish that she um, had been able to move on. But I think part of it is because you're at that moment where where you realize this is for reals, right? This is <laughs> This is like you get Jenny's death and so one, you know that like nobody's really safe. Um, And up to this point, we haven't really seen that. We have seen in the, you know, very beginning of season one, we saw Jesse, who who was turned into a vampire and then Mm -hmm. killed. But we didn't know him, right? Yeah. Um, We saw the principal there. And I always forget Mm -hmm. his name because he's not in it for very long. Flutie. (laughs) Principal Flutie, of course. Yeah. but again, you know, eh, he's kind of a principal. He's kind of an authority figure. He's like, we know him a little bit, but it's not right. like that. Right. And he's not one of the team. And he's not one of the team. And I mean, we're only a few episodes in really at that point. I mean, it's halfway through <laughs> season one, but season one's a short season. So, you know, it's yeah. it's not like it's that. Yeah. I mean, I think his death um, is more shocking because of the gruesomeness of it and because of that you don't expect someone in authority to necessarily get taken down like that. Whereas this is definitely more shocking from the perspective of a character that you've come to know. And then I was going to say with, with Buffy, we saw her die, but then immediately she was brought back to life. So that's not, you know, really whatever. Like otherwise the, the people who die are ancillary. Like, you know, they're just, they happen to be people who are just like nearby or, you know, whatever, like they're not, they're not really people we've come to care about. This is, this is where we've, you know, gotten to the point. Like we're not, we're not talking about, um, you know, just random people. We're talking about someone we've come to know and, and love and, and it's really sad. And, and, and it also, um, it's also that point where you realize that angel isn't coming back. Of course, we get to the end of the season and we realize that he can come back. But this is like like he 
even yeah. though Jenny like finds the answer, he stops her from moving. Yeah. So like this, it, you know, this is a point where like you know, oh okay, we we might be able to you know with with surprise and innocence like at the end of surprises where technically angel turns right or or the beginning of innocence however you want to look at it but like this is just a couple episodes later and now we know like again things are for real like this is this is the way angel is this is angelus this is not just a friendly vampire anymore but he's he's there to really right and this is this seems to be for him the point of no return whereas before you could imagine they, they restore the soul and, you know, yeah, we had a scare there, but things could kind of go on as they had been. Whereas after this, this, this is where you, it becomes difficult to imagine, even if he were to get his soul back and not be in hell, um, it would be impossible for the group to go back to the way it used to be before, you mm. know. Right. Whether that's from Angel's perspective or from Buffy's or from Giles, you know, that you couldn't just ignore the fact that this happened. This is that kind of, you know, not that any deaths that he causes are, you know, are unimportant, but the fact that he sort of killed one of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the sort of unforgivable, you know, right. act, right. which there's no going back from. So... Yeah, it definitely feels more um, more of a crossing of a line than it did in, you know, in Innocence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. absolutely. Um, I think one of the other things that I like about this is that... So, okay, so obviously we, get, we see Giles who... Um, you, you, you know who who goes rogue, so to speak, yeah. and goes after Angel. But we we see Buffy in a truly um, vulnerable moment where she says, "I need you." You know, you can't just go off doing that because I need you here. Yeah. Um. So, so I I like that because that's not something we get from Buffy very often. Yeah. It's yeah. You know, it's it's definitely. Um, you know, definitely uh, something that I think uh, we've gotten to, you know, again, with this idea of a family and friends, like this is something that's taken a season and two thirds of the rest of the next season, you know, for her to get to that admission, that point where, you know, Giles isn't just an authority figure, but is actually someone guiding her. Um, yeah. From her perspective, I mean, we, you know, I think we came to that conclusion before now, but I mm-hmm. think from Buffy's perspective, um, that's where, that's where she said, you know, I can't do this alone, which I can't do this alone. Like this is, this is the theme that we were talking about, um, even yeah. just in our last podcast where, you know, we were talking about the season finale about whether or not, um, you know, she, she is alone or isn't alone and, and. Um, she's a slayer with family and friends, and and this is her yeah. admission of that. Um, well, and, and I'm looking at another <clears throat> quote where she says to Jenny, "He misses you. I don't want him to be lonely. I don't want anyone to." So again, you know, I think this episode is keying us up for the end of the season. Um, 
Right. And she's already starting to feel that loneliness, but she hasn't necessarily gotten to the place in becoming where she sort of embraces that idea of, I mean, here it's sort of still clinging to her family and friends, that she doesn't want to be alone. She doesn't want Giles to be alone, that they need each other. They need to do this together. And think of how that, how different that sentiment is from becoming when, you know, she's lost everything and has to only rely on herself. Or she thinks she does anyway. Yeah. Um, even if they're working for her, you know, in the background. From where she's standing, um, it looks as though she really is finally alone and only can rely on herself. Yeah. Well, and so let's... I guess. And I, I mean, you also have, too, in this episode, Jenny not. Jenny acting on her own. Yeah. And, and yeah. not sharing things with Giles. And look what. And, and, and the consequence of that. Um, and I know you've brought that up a number of times. Like, just tell them what you're doing. Like. Well, and I think that's the. That's the. That's the point. Right. Is. You know, the point is to you know, work together and to right. and, and when, to share and to help. And, and when you don't is that's when the problems happen, right? That's yeah. when Giles goes off to fight Angel by himself, which we know he can't really do, even yeah. though we certainly have seen in season two that he's more of a badass than he let on. Sure. You know, before he's still not, you know, he still shouldn't be going up after these guys by himself. And that's, that's what Buffy is saying is, you know, I can't do this alone. I need your help. And, oh, hey, also, by the way, you, you need, need mine. mine help. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, this is all. And and so let's, I, I guess I'd like to just sort of, in, in moving, like, beyond sort of these initial, um, you know, favorite episodes, like, talking more on the season arc, because I think that's that's one of the key developments, right? And that's that's why we called this episode of Slayer with family and friends is because, because I think that that um, really is one of her character arcs, right. Um, is, is the acceptance of her role, but also the acceptance of, you know, having these people who, who are there to help her um, right. and, and relationships <laughs> in general. Um, yeah. But then, that's almost undercut by the end. Like it is, it is really, it's, that's complicated, you know, cause the end would seem to, or again, I mean, I think there's a difference. I mean, talk about levels of knowledge. There seems to be a difference between what Buffy believes and what, you know, that Buffy, you know, would sort of say that she's, on her own and relying on herself. But like we've said, she has people working for her, you know, even when she doesn't necessarily realize it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, and, and when Willow takes matters into her own hands without consulting Buffy to, you know, try to get Angel's soul back, that's her playing with the levels of knowledge. And when, Xander deliberately withholds that from Buffy. He's playing with that too. You know, so I think I think Jenny not sharing 
about what she was doing with Giles is sort of a setting up of that idea that they're all working together, but not totally because they don't share everything with each other. They're all loyal to each other and they all are helping and trying to help, but they've all got slightly different ideas about what that means. And not everyone is disclosing everything that they're doing. So, yeah, well, no. And, and yeah, certainly, I mean, it's not perfect by the end of this. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a, no, and nothing ever, and nothing ever will be, you know? Right. Right. No, it's, it's something that you have to continue that the characters here at least have to continually learn again and again, that when they do work together, they are pretty successful, but when they don't, things, things seem to not happen so great. Right. Um, Mm-hmm. Which, like, I, I agree. By the end of the episode, Buffy is sort of, or by the end of the season, I mean, Buffy is, she's heading out on her own. I mean, that's the last image we get of her in the finale is that she's leaving Sunnydale on her own. Doesn't tell anyone where she's going. Well, she leaves a note for Joyce, but we don't know what's in the note. We so. don't know. It could just say goodbye. You know, we don't really know what it says. Right. Um. But I think that that's... So I mentioned the Dark Age was another one of the episodes that I might have picked out. I think that's you know another episode where we see Giles trying to take care of things on his own. Right? It's mm. it's I'll I'll take care of this because it's my problem. Totally ignoring everything that he's told Buffy about you know yeah. not trying to take care of things on her own and that kind yeah. of thing. So it's you know again I think as a theme uh, throughout the season it it just becomes one of those things that. Uh, you, you know that that they constantly have to sort of be reminded of. Um, mm. So yeah, so I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, and and I think, um, yeah, we talked about how the 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 last episode sort of ends on a down note, but there are there are up notes. Um, yeah, you know there there are there are those moments where they do. Uh, they do kind of all come together. Um, trying to think of one off the top of my <laughs> head. Um, oh my gosh, I have to. But I yeah, but I, I, I maybe less of them this season than the one before. Um, I do want to talk about um, a couple of a uh, couple of other things too. So we talked. So we talked about the romance, and and I think I think if you go through, like you'll see, or not not just romance, but relationship in general. Um, you know, we do, we do talk about like the, the jealousy aspect, right. From the first episode when Buffy's acting like a tool and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to, you know, make people jealous of her and, and, and whatever, but that's, um, you know, that's the relationship. Some assembly required, we already talked about school hard, maybe not too much relationship wise in that. Well, Um, I mean, you've got. Joyce and Buffy in there, their sort of family relationship becomes important in school hard. That's true. Right. Cause that's, cause she's trying to, um, that's with the whole like parent night, right. The parent teacher night. Yeah. And, and she's, she's got to kind of work on that. Um, Inca mommy girl, reptile boy, you know, about yeah. not quite healthy relationships. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, even though some of those early ones, but those are all, 
kind of superficial. Right. Halloween, too. With Buffy sort of conforming to what Angel might... What she thinks... She, what she, she thinks might, like, Angel might expect of her, yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, but then... <laughs> and then even we get Lie to Me, which isn't about romantic relationships, per se, but it's about her relationship with someone who she used to know, right? It's about mm. an old friend, um, Ford, who comes and and sort of their relationship and the lying that takes place. And yeah, so I think even in those like early, less mythological episodes, um, Mm -hmm. you get, you get sort of that idea. And then it's, you get into what's my line. And that's where you start really getting into, um, the relationship stuff because that's where Kendra shows up. Right. Yeah. And that's where we find out that, there's a whole other level of being a slayer that Buffy doesn't even know about where she's yeah. supposed to not have the friends right. and family, um, you know, and, and she's the one right. telling Kendra, like, that's not a healthy way to live. And, yeah. and I don't know. And I find, I guess I find that interesting because it, it just, it really goes, um, you know, it really does go to show that that's, that's something that when it's pointed out to her, when she realizes that it's something she could lose the friends Mm -hmm. and the family, Buffy really is concerned about it. But when it's, when she's the one who's in charge, she seems not to be as much, right. She seems not to be as concerned about what other people are doing and actively pushes people away and tells them not to help or not to do whatever. And she feels bad even um, in the end here when you know, she says, I shouldn't have let Willow, you know, try that spell or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. Like it was her call. And I guess in a sense it was, but, you know, because she did, you know, she's the one who says, well, it's kind of like a backup plan, right? If if I don't defeat Angel, then at least Willow might reinsole him or something. But Right. But, like, with Buffy, it's it's not always in the foreground. And I think that's the interesting thing is that it, it is that constant reminder that needs to keep coming up and coming up. That Yeah. Well, and, and it doesn't really become it, it or it's not that it isn't a focus, but it becomes more of a focus after we meet Kendra that like it's after one, it's after we meet Kendra and we actually learn that Buffy's way of life is unusual that all the relationships start to really intensify, you know, that it's after that, that she and Angel become much more close and Willow and Oz get together and Xander and Cordy start getting together. It's almost like Kendra as this sort of loner figure was like the catalyst for all these really intense Mm -hmm. personal relationships. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jenny and Giles, I mean, Jenny and Giles were heading that way, but everything seems to, it's sort of like the couples all really solidify and even the friendships and not just romantic couples, but all of them, you know, all of the relationships really come together after Kendra's there Mm. until they all start falling apart. (laughs) Yeah. Well, not all of them, not all of them. Yeah. I mean, obvious. So the obvious Buffy and Angel thing happens and that's, you know, unforeseen, like no one knew, (laughs) <laughs> really what was going to happen even even the people who should have known like jenny and her uncle there didn't yeah. really know what the implications were um but yeah then like with oz i mean he turns into a werewolf you know yeah. i mean that isn't 
necessarily the most health, healthy thing for a relationship. But at the same time, he and Willow are able to work closer. through that. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that actually works out for them in a way yeah. that obviously, you know, Buffy and Angel can't work out their differences. Um, Xander and Cordy get right. They get together during the what's my line storylines. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they, they continue to get closer and closer. And I think one of the interesting things is that you get, um, like in killed by death, we, we talked, you know, about the, the fact that they are sitting there and court and, and Xander is like, well, you know, I need to stay here to protect Buffy, mm-hmm. um, in the hospital. And Cordy comes back with the donut and the coffee and, and whatever mm-hmm. by becoming part two she's offering to go do that stuff right it's not just like uh well i'm gonna right. go do it because since you're gonna stay i'll stay with you and yeah yeah like now it's it's a what can i do to help you get through you know seeing your friend here in the right. hospital bed so you get the feeling that by the end of the season you know versus the middle of the season i mean the beginning of the season they were just fighting like cats and dogs and then you know you called it before it happened or at least you suspected before it happened that like there was there was something a little too protesting in their constant fighting and they they hook up but they both feel bad about it and then you know get to that point eventually where they um well and and there's the whole love spell you know, love potion thing that happens too. But yeah, um, it's interesting because if you said at the beginning of the season that theirs would be the strong, not maybe not the strongest, but I mean, of the relationships that are left, really it's Willow and Oz are the only other relationship, you yeah. know, between other than Xander and Cordy. And they're both pretty strong at this point. Like, yeah. you know, we get the sense. And yeah, that, like, that Willow might have had a strong relationship with someone. We didn't even really know Oz at the beginning of the season. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's whatever. But, you know, you could say, okay, well, that that could happen. Like, that's fine. But Xander and Cordy, you never would have suspected right. that they would have been. from where we are. Yeah. You know, yeah. not just a couple, but actually a couple that seems to be growing closer together. Yeah. Um, no, that actually seems to be genuinely... Um, genuinely good for each other and actually you know it seems to be yeah i don't want to say improving them but they seem to really be good for each other that they're behave they're acting in a you know a, a very loving and mature way which is not necessarily something you would expect from the pair of them no and and you know obviously at the beginning of the the season buffy and angel you know, they were kind of hemming and hawing and, and there was, you know, it it was a little while till they really kind of decided, all right, we're going to be together. And then like, boom, it's like bad breakup, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, and it just, it's, it's ugly and it's never, it's always kind of awkward and stuff. And that's, you know, that's hard, I guess. But, um, again, just not something you wouldn't necessarily predicted going into the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that I can make a coherent 
you know, cohesive statement about all of that. It's just kind of, it's interesting to me. Well, and then Joyce, there's that whole Ted episode with her. Right. Um, right. And I think, yeah, like just the, the, they, they have Ted in there to prompt you to remember that Joyce might be interested in having relationships too, especially because her relationship with Buffy is a very mm-hmm. difficult one. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. And I was going to say, you know, moving into non-romantic relationships, of course, I mean, within the Scoobies, obviously the Jenny and Giles thing kind of, you know, Giles feels betrayed and Jenny gets kind of shoved out. Angel gets shoved out, but within the core group within, mm-hmm. you know, Buffy, Xander, Willow, and Giles, like, they're all pretty strong. Like, the whole yeah. season, for the most part. There's, you know, a few things, like, when Willow finds out about Xander and Cordy, um, you know, she says, well, we're, we're not okay. You know, we're not okay here. And she feels hurt by that. But, you know, within a couple episodes, they seem to be all right again. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that's not... That's not that big of a thing. There's a few a lasting damage. Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a few tiffs, you know, with Buffy and a few of the others. But you know, yeah. again, it's not like that. That core group is, you know, remains pretty solid. So I do I do definitely think um, going back to what Joss Whedon said that yes, this is definitely this season is about those relationships and they're not perfect relationships. And, and some of them aren't even good relationships, but um, you know, definitely there. Oh, and of course, so if we want to talk about monsters for a minute too, we have drew and spike. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, who have their own relationship, who, who have their own relationship and their own relationship problems when angel becomes a factor. Um, so, yes. Any anything else you want to sort of say about that, like the whole relationship aspect and and that as a sort of a theme or a, a um, you know? Uh, I don't know that I have anything else profound to add. I think I think we mostly. I think it's just it is interesting to see Joss in that uh, special feature said that they made a concerted effort to you know make the story more about you know more than just a monster or a metaphor of the week and, and about, you know, bigger ideas and, and more important themes and the relationship stuff. So you can actually, you really can see the fruit of that as you look through some of those past episodes, Mm -hmm. um, that they've definitely done a really like, and it is, it is kind of incredible to look at only 22 episodes ago what a different place the characters were in. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And how far they bring them in a season. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, well, well done, Joss. Good job. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good, good arc, good season. Um, and spe- so that and that featurette we keep referring to um, was a lot about the monsters, and um, in addition to like the character stuff, though there 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 was a sort of a concerted effort at least for the one-offs um they they call it sort of like a tour of the classical monsters and and going back and looking you do you do see a lot of these ones that that i think even you brought up before you ever watched that featurette like you get the frankenstein-esque monster you get the mummy you get the werewolf you get the body snatchers you get the freddy krueger like monster you get the 
robot, <laughs> you know, you get all of these sort of classic yeah. variations with a Buffy slash Hellmouth twist um, to yeah. them. Yeah. So, uh, but of course we get um, some bigger, the more mythological monsters. And I wanted to bring up, so we get, <laughs> we, we did point out um, the episode where, big bad is used for the first time. Um, and we haven't really gotten to the point where, where it's become a de facto, uh, term yet, but there is this idea of the big bads. And so, um, what I think is interesting from an arc perspective too, is that you do get another couple fake outs, right? Cause mm. in, I, well, you tell me like the big bad of this season, who is it? Well, I mean, is it really any? I mean, it. I think I called it. I mean, I would say if it's anyone, it's Angel. Yeah. But but what's interesting to me is are those fake outs? Is the way that that's a progressive, evolving thing where and and I think we talked about this before. I don't know if we've recorded it or not, but the way in which the the bads lead to each other so the first episode being about resurrecting the master which was the previous season's big bad you know and that gets you know they stop that from happening but who's doing that it's the anointed one so then you think okay so the anointed one is you know if he can't he's going to come up with another plan whatever that is but then Spike comes along and shoves him in the sunlight and burns him out. So then you're thinking, okay, well, Spike seems like a good candidate. This is the new, you know, hot rod vampire in town. Clearly this is our new big... But then, you know, he's restoring Drusilla. And he gets injured and Drusilla's powerful again. So maybe she's the big bad. And then, you know, she brings in the judge. But then that doesn't end up panning out and then it leads <laughs> yeah directly. he only lasts like one and a half episodes and then and then it leads directly to angel um yeah. so i like the way that even though it does lead to angel the whole season isn't just wrapped up in that it, it it's leading one of each of them are sort of like a line of dominoes are you know kicking off a chain of events which leads to the next one yeah um, yeah. so it has a nice flow to it. And by the end, I mean, the master never came back. The anointed one got killed like two episodes in Spike spends most of it in a wheelchair. Like the ones you all thought were surely these are the big bads ended up being kind of, you know, non-starters. Yeah. They, don't, they don't really go anywhere. Um, well, and, and it then, goes... And then even Angel in the end, yeah, she, he is the thing which must be averted in the end. I suppose he's the closest thing to a big bad, but still, it's Angel. It's still one of our main characters. It's still someone you want to survive. So well, that even subverts the idea of the big bad in the end, because but it's in not, those final moments. Right. It, he's angel in those final moments, but he's angelus yeah. before that. Yeah, And I sure. would point out, too, that remember the master said that angelus was one of the most, you know, uh, destructive creatures that he ever knew. So, like, yeah. 
No, he, and it de- he definitely is the villain of the season, but but in in that you you're not allowed to feel the kind of triumph that we felt in season one when Buffy kills the master. You're denied that because it's not the master; it's Angel. And in those last moments, Angelus goes away, mm-hmm. and yes, she defeats him, but at the cost of Angel. So it, I think it does subvert and play with that idea a little bit yeah. of, of the villain and of the big bad and of the hero, you know, triumphing over the bad guy. Yep. No, I think that's all good analysis. I, I think, um, Angel is generally considered the big bad for the uh-huh. season. So like if, like not that if there's, there's a, a not there's, there's a, a test out there, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But um but your perception of of the lineage is is spot on. Um and that's there's actually an idea that is floated by some of the big bads and the little bads. And so <laughs> and and I think actually Spike of all people gives one of the best sort of explanations he 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 says in that final episode there right you know as he's trying to team up with buffy you know he says vampires like to talk big right they like to talk about death and destruction but really most of them are just about like kicking back with a pint of blood and watching manchester united or whatever yeah so there is definitely that progression and and you will get demons who will profess to be like you know master of all the earth or you know going to be taking over the kind of thing but i i think one of the things that i that i like about this is that you do get the the sense that there is a lot of bluster to it right just like there is in the real world there's people who oh i'm the king of the world kind of thing you know but you know that you're just some sort of petty bureaucrat or something like you're not really what you say you are so i think i think there is an element to that and and the idea of a progression of little bads before you get kind of the big bad because the other mm-hmm. thing that spike says is but angel could actually do it angel angel actually has the power to bring about the destruction of the world and so you know you do have to fight these sort of lesser guys but you never necessarily know which one and that's that's i think the fake out that matters right it's mm-hmm. you don't at the beginning of the season, you're not even looking at Angel as a bad guy, let alone right. the potential big bad. And so I yeah. think that's the thing that maybe going forward is you have to wonder is is the guy that I think is really the bad guy going to be the one that I end up facing? And in this, you know, Spike ended right. up the, teaming up, you know, who we thought was the, bad the big guys, bad yeah, way back yeah. in like episode three or whatever. You know, after he killed the anointed one, we thought he was going to bring around the destruction of the earth you know now he's fighting with buffy against angel of all people right to save the earth yeah so yeah it's that progression is definitely something that you and it's not always going to be quite so linear as it was in season two so i would just sort of right yeah no i wouldn't i wouldn't expect it to be i I didn't Um, necessarily think you would but just sort of to explicitly state that and and mm -hmm. say yeah you know keep an eye on on how do characters react to things and how do they develop? And, and there is that, you know, what, what are we to think of spike at this point? Like we, we've talked about the humanity 
or potential humanity of demons and stuff in in the Whedon world. But, you know, what are we to make of Spike at this point? You know, is he any better or worse than a human who is just looking out for himself? Yeah, he's done some bad crap, but on the other hand, he helped save the world in a way. Yeah. Up, up to the point where he could at least get away cleanly with his girlfriend. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's all it's all part of the right. He's 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 a demon, but he's not a bad guy. <laughs> well, I, yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily say he's not a bad yeah, guy no, either. Like he may still be, but no, but it but is, is it, it is it because he's a demon, or is it because of how he acts, regardless of what he is? Right. You know, and I think that that would be the bigger or the more apropos question. Mm. Um. Anyway. So, right. Um, anything else on on monsters or, or sort of that idea of the big bad, little bad? Well, not so bad. They didn't. Um, Phases was really the only episode that dealt with Oz's, um, werewolf, right state. Um, but I thought just as a, I don't know, you know what this is referring to, but I think it was. Marty Noxon in that special talking about like the fact that that's that is an interesting twist that they made one of the main characters a monster and that not just for the week you know he's not possessed by hyenas and then he's fine next it's like no this is a permanent state right. of being um, right and, that, and she kind of hints that that'll lead to interesting character development later on so again further complicating that idea of who is who's hero who's villain what side you know and what is it that constitutes the monster i mean you know oz might physically be monstrous sometimes but when he doesn't have control over his actions you know does that really qualify him as one of the monsters and you know so i'm kind of looking forward to seeing where that goes and what kind of stories that can tell because i think with with spike and drew and angel they have played with this idea of good guys versus bad guys and what is the difference and you know where does that line get drawn um or what constitute you know what if they are bad guys what qualifies them as such so i'm kind of looking forward to seeing a little bit more with oz there and and maybe some other characters too that I don't know about in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would just say that that's another one of the things that I think overall this season has shown us that nobody's safe. Right. So it's, and not just via death, like with Jenny and Kendra, but like with Oz, like he Mm. has become a monster. Um, Like with Angel who was kind of, you know, we knew was a monster in the past, but now, has fallen back into being a monster or at least right up until the final moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, you know, even things like with Giles, like with the dark age and stuff and, and his former, you know, self, his history, yeah. there are things going on there or more subtly like Xander and his lying or Willow with her magic. Like, are there, nobody's really safe. Like, the, you know, things can happen to anyone. And 
people can turn into anything. So mm. even if you think someone is a monster or, or think someone is not a monster, they could be even, you know, Xander playing with love potions, you know, I'm, I'm looking for revenge. Here is the driven snow, you know, like that's, yeah, you know, yes, that, that was a one-off episode, but it's, it, it does show that people can sort of, there's more of a flexibility to a person's state of being than maybe we're otherwise comfortable thinking about. Yeah. So, yeah. And that kind of plays into that whole thing you were talking about of becoming, being a, a constant state of change, that it's not one thing or the other. It's, you know, that the characters are going to constantly evolve and go in directions that you don't expect them yeah. to go. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, um, season two, Good. Overall, is definitely considered a strong season in the general sense. Yeah. Um, many, many people like it, and I can, <laughs> I can see why. And yeah. Uh, now we're on to season three next time. So very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Be looking forward to seeing where Buffy ends up. I know. Yeah. Where Where did she go? And and Angel as well, because where we Angel really, ended up, yeah. I, and and so I mean, you you've called out before, and we've talked about before. We have this knowledge that there is a spinoff to Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, of course, we will see him again at some point. He did not turn to dust, right? And we've talked about how hell, so to speak, is just another dimension. So it's you know. Um, not totally unfeasible that he will find his way back from that dimension. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I don't think I'll, any of that is too spoilery. No. And that's, that's, I will be more interested to see what he has to say for himself rather than the surprise of him coming back or, yeah. you know, yeah. or, you know, so I think I don't know what he's going to think or, you know, what kind of thoughts he might have or what he might say. So I'll be interested to see that. Sure. Well, and soon enough we will. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Season three next time. (laughs) Goodbye. See you then. (laughs) 